by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and for his glory alone. And what the reformers recaptured 500 years ago, we continue to embrace as the body of Christ today. Uh, good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. If you're a guest with us, we especially want to extend a, a warm welcome to you. Glad you're here with us. At the end of the service, uh, in the foyer there at the Welcome Center, we have a gift for you and we just want to have you stop by and we can say hello. And um, again, glad you're, you're visiting with us. Down at F3, good morning to you and uh, those watching online as well. Glad you could join us uh, in fellowship there. Um, we have had a, um, a wonderful week as we have welcomed and, and uh, had the in enjoyment of the presence of uh, ministry partners from around the world in our global church week. Um, it's always a special time at Fellowship Bible Church. We do it every two years now. And we weren't sure we were going to be able to do it this year, again, with COVID and different things, but uh, uh, God was gracious, and we have friends from Africa and Latin America and Mexico, and of course, Curtis Thompson from Inner City Chicago was here with us, and new friends that we got to meet, Native Americans who are ministering in a very difficult uh, work in, uh, on reservations here in this country. Uh, last Sunday night, uh, they gave um, us some uh, perspective of the challenges of that kind of a ministry. Uh, you can still watch that online um, on our Facebook page. But it's been a great week of um, studying together, uh, praying, singing together, eating together, and eating together, and eating together. And hopefully you were also able to participate in some form or fashion, or progressive dinner Friday night, or um, even joining us for study or watching it on, online. Uh, but we're wrapping that up. Um, today, and they'll be heading back to their various homes. We are very, very grateful that they would take the time and effort to be with us. Um, I know um, people who come from different parts of the world appreciate this church. They express it many times. But we are, um, I think, the ones truly blessed. And we are the ones that get uh, the greater um, encouragement, I think, and refreshment in our souls as we interact with uh, our, our dear global partners around the world. Um, it's been a great week. We've also had a special couple with us um, as well. Uh, we talked about it at our congressional meeting a couple weeks ago. Tim and Sue Sanford uh, have traveled uh, from Michigan to be with us uh, this week and spend some time at the Global Church Conference as well as Spend time with the elders um, talking and discussing together the possibility of Tim joining our staff as pastor of discipleship, uh, a role that will um, seek to uh, develop and enhance our small group ministries. We've always said throughout the years, as the church gets bigger, it's got to grow smaller. And in addition to that, developing the small group ministries that uh, we want to put a, a greater emphasis on the area of what we call relational discipleship and, um, or authentic fellowship and how we can become more a church of uh, involvement in each other's lives from the time that uh, people walk in and visit us uh, to the time that uh, we go home to glory. And so um, we're praying about what God has for that. Tim and Sue have been a part of Ethnos 360 used to be called New Tribes Missions for uh, 32 years. 
Tim has served in various capacities uh, for many years in, in Arizona as International Director of Aviation, the aviation program there. More recently, um, teaching in the Bible college context, discipling, ministering to students. Uh, Tim and Sue have a heart for um, seeing Christ formed in people's lives, um, desiring people to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. In that college context, um, there's many opportunities to do that, uh, as well as in the local churches that they have uh, been a part of. Um, Tim also directs the online discipleship um, ministry of Ethnos 360. Uh, a real delight to have them here. They are the parents of Ben Sanford, who um, many of you may know is on our staff here, uh, a young man who recently got married to one of our gals here at, at the church. Uh, Tim and Sue have uh, four children, nine grandchildren, They've been married for 35 years. And uh, as Tim, you come up to, to share God's word, I'm going to lead in prayer and we'll entrust this time to him. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for the opportunity to uh, gather and, and to worship you in spirit and in truth and um, to acknowledge, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing. It is only by grace alone, through faith alone, and only in Christ alone that we live and move and have our being, that we can experience life and the abundant life Jesus said you came to give, eternal life that we can enjoy forever. Um, for our missionary family, for our gospel partners around the world, and as they continue to also share that message, this, this body of Christ around the world in regions that can be very, very difficult to do it in, even here in our own country, in Garfield Park, in inner city Chicago, or on a Lakota Sioux reservation, or just different places, Father, maybe even in our own backyard, our own neighborhoods. Father, the body of Christ is, is saved and sanctified so that we can declare your excellencies to this world. As our friends head back to their places around the world, we pray for safety and travel, for um, refreshed spirits, encouragement, knowing that the overflow of love here at Fellowship Bible Church has been poured into their hearts. We're grateful, Father, for what you've accomplished this week. And now as Tim comes and, and opens up your word, may we be attentive, um, have listening hearts and ears, and of course we always depend, Father, that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into truth. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Tim. Oh, there we are. Good morning. How are you all doing? <clears throat> it's good to be here with you. Um, we've actually, uh, a few times since Ben has been here, we have snuck in and out and had the privilege of um, just fellowshipping with some of you and getting to know some of you and then um, hearing some of the teaching. Uh, as Mark said, I've been recently serving at our Bible school and a number of your people have come there. And um, so we've, we've learned a little bit about you from them. All good, by the way. 
Uh, sometimes you worry about that, don't you? Like, oh, what do they know? <clears throat> but um, I just want you to know, as a, as a fellow believer in the same family together with you, uh, how much of an encouragement it has been um, to learn about you and to learn... Um, I'll just say it. In, in, the, in the journeys of life that I've been on, I have been in a lot of churches, and um, frankly, to hear and see what's been going on in this church is a, such a tremendous encouragement. I feel like um, you have a leadership team that desires to do what God says, and you all are part of that effort. And you might see yourself in a minimal part of that or a great big part of that, I don't know, but regardless, um, you have a testimony and it is being uh, passed around this world. And hopefully that testimony ultimately is pointing to Christ, right? Saying this is what he's done in our midst. So I just want to tell you that, maybe encourage you with that. <clears throat> it's been a tremendous um, encouragement for us to be here with you for this week and listening to some of the um, teaching that's been going on over the week and just fellowshipping together, <clears throat> excuse me, with <clears throat> some of the different ones of leadership here and stuff. And so just looking forward to having an opportunity here to talk with you. You want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. This is what we're going to be doing this morning, okay, just to give you the big picture. So last Sunday, if you remember, that Jim and Scott were up here, <clears throat> excuse me, and they um, were talking about the gospel and the purity of the gospel and the need for, <clears throat> sorry, I can't get that out, but the need for the clarity of that because it is on the truth of what the gospel says that we anchor our souls, right? We place our trust in what God said as what was necessary for salvation. But I don't know if you remember this, as they started, they, they kind of intimated and hinted a little bit at the fact that God has a plan. And they, when I first heard them start talking about that, I'm like, oh Lord, here they go, they're gonna steal my thunder, right? Like, that's how that, us preachers think this way, right? <clears throat> but then they started talking about the gospel. I wanna talk about that plan with you, okay? So what we're going to do then is we're going to look here in Acts chapter 17, and <coughs> excuse me, it's just one area in Scripture that gives us a, a bit of a picture, a bit of a sense of what God's doing. There's a number of places we could choose from, but this is where we'll start. And gaining that kind of that big picture, then we're going to back up into the Scriptures and actually see him bringing about that plan to fruition and come back to this passage here in 17. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the perspective that we can have in regards to that plan and the privilege that we've got with that, all right? So that's where we're going. So you're with me in Acts chapter 17? <clears throat> so it's up on the screen here for us too. We'll just read this real quick. Uh, so the, the context is this, all right? So Paul is in Athens over in Greece. You can actually go there. We had the privilege to do that one time. You can actually be where we think this occurred, okay? And it, it's an amazing place. And all the different um, structures, the, the old temples, and the, just all the different things that are there. Uh, I would encourage you, if you ever get a chance, go see this. But not because we want to walk on the ground that Paul walked on, but because we want to be reminded of these things and, and what happened there. 
So, so Paul, as he's in Athens, he's walking around and he's noticing, the verses before this will tell you, that, that they have altars to all these different gods, and then they have an altar, and it says, to the unknown God. In other words, they were thinking, hey, there may be a God out there that we don't know, and we want to worship him too, and we are a little bit afraid that if we don't worship him, he might get upset with us, so we'll put an altar up there for him too, right? And Paul sees that, and he says, hey, hey, guess what? I want to tell you about him. He's not going to be unknown anymore. I, I want to make him known to you. So Paul starts to talk, and we'll pick this up then in verse 24. It says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now, there's a couple of things that come out from that phraseology right away, right? There's some things that we learn. He says, God, well, he exists then. So now he's just introduced this unknown God. And by the way, he's the only God. All the other gods that they were serving, they weren't even really gods, were they? So he says, says God who, who made everything. So now we understand him to be the creator. That's who he is. He made it all, right? And, and he says, let me get my eyeballs on. Sorry, I have a hard time getting old with this stuff. He says, <clears throat> he says God who made the world and everything in it. Everything that you see, everything that, that you observe, and we're in this time of fall where leaves are changing, right, and the beauty of all of that kind of stuff. And I mentioned last night, if you come to Michigan to see the fall colors, you, you better plan in advance because our hotels are full up north. Like people, there's just people coming because they just want to see the fall colors. And some people actually follow them as they, week after week, it, it, it just, it moves into different areas, right? And, and we see the beauty of all of that stuff and recognize that that is beauty, but it's marred, right? It's marred by sin. And yet it's amazing how still it reflects then this awesome God. So Paul is, is making him known, right? That's what he's doing. So he says, <clears throat> God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth. Now he introduces a little bit more to us. He tells us not only is he the creator, but as the creator, which makes him the owner of it all, he's the Lord. He's the one to be obeyed, right? So you see how Paul is just introducing him to these people in just a couple uh, sentences, right? Me, I'm like, okay, how do I describe all this? And I got to go into detail. And no, he just simply puts it out. He says, this God that we're talking about here he made, or he's Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now, you can imagine for them, if you go there, you'll see there are actually some temples that are still up there in, in Athens, and all of Greece, for that matter. And there's also ruins. You can go and see some of the places where this is where it used to be, and they might have a picture of that. But you can walk through some of this stuff and see that, and you can imagine then, as a Greek a person <clears throat> used to all of that. And Paul is saying, kind of like, you see all these? You see, you have these temples for these different gods, but, but the unknown God, the one that you don't know, the one who's really God, he doesn't actually dwell in this kind of a thing. He doesn't dwell there. He dwells somewhere else. That's where he dwells, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, maybe. But he says, verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life and breath in all things. He's a God who doesn't need anything. That's kind of different than you and I, right? We need things. Put your hand over your mouth and your nose, and you'll realize pretty quick you need oxygen. And after a while, if someone else puts their hand over your mouth and nose, you're going to fight them off in order to get that oxygen. You need it, right? 
You long for that. Your lungs crave it, if you want to say it that way. He doesn't need anything. So again, we begin to realize that, wow, he's so different than us. He's so very different. He doesn't need any of this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and then Paul says, and this is where I really want to talk about here, verse 26, and says, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So he says in this, notice, he says that from one blood, so in his creation, if you're familiar with the word of God, you know that Genesis tells us that God created the world and he created Adam and Eve. And from that couple, then one blood now, all nations now exist. Everybody can point back to them as our parents, ultimately, like we follow our genealogy all the way back to them, right? So from one blood, then it says that he has made um, sorry here, uh, from one blood, every nation of men. All the different ethnicities, all are made by God. He is involved in that. That's been part of his plan. That didn't just happen. Sometimes because we're so scientific in our thinking, we think, okay, you know, you bring this person together with this person, they have children, and then their genes, and then da da da, da and it just it mutates, and next thing you know, you got this, and you got colors. and all. You know what? That was all part of God's plan. Just like the trees changing color, and some of them are red, and some of them are orange, and some of them are a blend between those two colors, and some of them are yellow, and some of them turn brown, and they go from green to this, right? Like, <clears throat> that was all part of God's plan, too. And so it is with this. But he says that he made these from one blood, every nation, to dwell on all the face of the earth. There was intent, in other words, as to why he created this world and placed people upon it. He wanted them to be everywhere on this planet. That's what that verse tells us. And it says that he did this, and he's also determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So he decided, like, we see what we call nations rising and falling, right? Like, like as we go through our history lessons, we know that certain nations come to power, whatever that means for us, right? And then they wane. And, and sometimes they disappear as a nation, but they never disappear as an ethnicity. They continue on. <clears throat> Not only is there times appointed, but the boundaries, now, we have today what we call immigration, so we're moving. We have people on the move from one location to another. But largely speaking, you can find certain ethnicities or people groups in certain areas of the world. Why are they there? You ever think about that? Why would they be found in this particular location, but generally not found in this particular location, unless we can find history that tells us, oh, they traveled, they moved, right? <clears throat> All of that is because of what God did. There's a design, there's a desire that he had, and that's what this tells us. But it tells us then in verse 27 why. It says, so that they should seek the Lord. He actually has done all of this so that people would seek after him. Now, <clears throat> I told the people last night, I don't get that. I actually, when I look at this, I'm like, really, God? I... <laughs> it just tells you where my thinking is at. I think he could have done better sometimes. You ever do that too? You know how I know that? 
I tell him so when I pray sometimes. I find the words coming out of my mouth actually telling him how he's supposed to be doing his job. It's ludicrous when you think about it. And it tells me a little bit about, here's Paul describing, hey, this creator God, and he's the owner of it all, and sometimes I forget that. I act as if that's not true, right? And I look at this and go, really? This is the way you're going to do this, God? You're gonna, you, you want them all over the place so that by being all over the place, then they're going to be drawn to you? How's that working out? But there's a reason behind this, and he says, so that they should seek him. So think about this. The context that, that Paul is stating this in is a context that proves this very thing out. He's standing there before them, and he's going, you guys are talking about the unknown God. I'm here to tell you. Like, you're looking, and now God has sent somebody to tell you about him. And he's been doing this all along, by the way, just so you know. So, so this kind of gives us a, a, a picture of his plan, right? We're going to come back to this. So, so just hold your place here and, and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, will you? Let's go back to the beginning and, and let's see, well, well, what's he, like how did he bring this about? What's he doing with this? So in Genesis chapter 1, turning to that, verse 28, this is what it says. It says, so he's talking again, the context is he's talking to Adam and Eve, right? Or he's talking about them. And he says this, it says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Adam and Eve, he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's what he told them. There's a couple things that I want you to see here. First of all, it says that he blessed them. Okay, now just so you know, um, when you see that in Scripture, someone blessing another, that's always a situation where one who's superior, right, is blessing one who is less. In the sense of, for example, if you look at the patriarchs, you will see them, uh, it's recorded for them, where they, as the father of their clan, the father of their family, is then going to bless one or multiple children of theirs, right? <clears throat> say a blessing to them, something that they're saying, this is going to happen, and this is going to be good for you, right? So when we think of that, God now is here, and he has just created his children, and he's blessing them. He is superior because he's God, because he has authority, because he's, he's the creator and owner of them. So he's in the rightful position to do this. So what is it that he blessed them with? Well, here it is. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's a blessing that he's placing upon them. That's not a curse, just so you know. That's actually something that he's, it's almost like he puts his hand out there on the head and says, I'm blessing you with this. Here's what you get to do. Why would that be considered a blessing? Well, when we look at the whole scope of his plan, we realize this is the beginning. He has created this whole world, and he's placed mankind on this world, and he's saying, hey, I want you to be scattered. I want you to be all over it, right? I'm going to give you an opportunity, in other words, to partner with me. This is the plan that I've got. I want you to fulfill that. Do this, okay? So it's an actual privilege then, and that's a perspective that we can have, right? 
We can look at this with a perspective of, oh, this was the stupidest thing in the world. We would be wrong in that kind of thinking, but we could still have that perspective and it could still dominate and control the way we live our lives. Or we can have the perspective that God actually is who he says that he is and this indeed is a blessing. Not only do we see him blessing, but we also see him then in that blessing he commands. He tells them to do something, right? He has the right and the privilege to do that, again, because he's God. He's the owner. He's the creator. Everything belongs to him, including us, the people of this creation. And, and, and so he does that to them. But if you're versed in the scripture at all, you, you know they didn't do it, right? You know that. So we get to this place of Noah, a man called Noah, and God says, hey, you know what? Like, this is, this is not good. There's just sin everywhere except for Noah's family. I'm going to clean the slate here with a flood, and we're going to begin again, a new beginning. And so right after the flood and the ark rests, and God says to Noah in Genesis 9, so you just move down a few chapters, right? With Genesis 1, now we go to Genesis 9. And this is what he says to Noah and his children. He says, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then skipping to verse 7, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Are you seeing some repetition at all? Like, like do you catch that? Do you see the similarities there between Genesis 1 and now Genesis 9? And, and do you notice how in verse 1 here he says this, and then he repeats it again in verse 7? And of course, we know that when God repeats something, he's like, hey, I'm wanting to get your attention, right? We do this as parents. We, you know, we say something to our kids, and they're like, uh, and we, we repeat it. Like, hey, I want your attention, right? Like, we're, we're wanting to get them to hear what we're having to say because it's valuable as far as we're concerned, God says it's valuable. You need to hear this. You need to understand this. I'm telling you, I want you guys to multiply and fill this earth. That's what I want you to do. <clears throat> Again, if you know your Bibles, you know that they didn't do it either, did they? And, and so we just move a few chapters down here to Genesis 11. And in Genesis 11, we have the context of the Tower of Babel. Are you familiar with that? Well, these people are all gathered together. Well, let's read it here. Verse 4, it says, so the, the people of the world, the people of this earth said, <laughs> oh, this is so crazy. It's crazy because when you know God, you think, how do you do this, people? You think you're going to stop God from doing what he wants. He's, he's got a plan, and he's going to fulfill that plan, right? So it says, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like they're fulfilling what he just said to do? It doesn't to me. To me, that sounds like rebellion, doesn't that? Like, no, I'm not going to do this. So we've had Genesis 1, we've had Genesis 9, God saying, hey, I'm blessing you with an opportunity to scatter, fill this whole earth, and you all aren't doing that. You're not doing that. In fact, it's not just that you're not doing it. Now we're seeing willful rebellion against. Look at the terminology that's there, right? Let us build ourselves a city. Do you see selfishness there? Do you, do you see how they're consumed with themselves rather than with God? It's not doing what God wants them to do. It's doing what I want to do. 
<clears throat> and then it says, and, and let us make a name for ourselves. In other words, we want accolades. We want acknowledgement. We want everyone to see us. It's not a name for God. It's not like, hey, let's build a city and bring God glory in this city. It's let us get our own glory. That's just not going to work. Just down you. It's just not going to work. I can identify with that. Can you? You know, there's been times when in my life that um, I've blatantly and then sometimes subtly, or think I'm subtle, tried to gain recognition for something, right? Making a name for myself, wanting to be known and thought of well. Why? Because I have the same problem they did. I'm a selfish individual, sin-cursed heart, and that's all part of that. God is doing something to bring a name for himself, to bring glory for himself, and we get the privilege of being a part of this. This is all part of his plan. So <clears throat> they say we want to do this lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well, like we want to do this so that it prohibits this occurring. We're not interested in that. It's totally against what God says. So God said, no, we're not dealing with this one. Next verse, verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. In other words, if, if they're left to go the way they want to go, they're going to accomplish that. Nothing's going to be withheld from them. But that's inconsistent with what I want. That's inconsistent with my plan. That's inconsistent with where I'm going. And so it tells us then that he comes down. He says, verse 7, come, let us go down. Speaking of the Trinity there, right? That's why it's plural. God's not schizophrenic, just so you know, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit talking together. Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from, over the from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So in other words, he has said twice in Genesis 1 and Genesis 9, this is what I want you to do. Now we've gotten to Genesis 11. We're not doing it. Not only are we not doing it, but we're going to adamantly oppose that, and God says, I'm going to do it myself. And this is how I'm going to do it. So he takes from one language and makes many. Now, just so you know, don't miss this. Not only did God do a miracle in giving languages to everybody else, but he had to do something, it says here, confuse, or some versions say confound their language, meaning that that original language had to be disrupted so that they didn't continue to communicate. Over this week that I've been here, and watching some of these ministry partners that have come for this week, and Mark or whoever's teaching, and we're doing that in English. Why? Because we have some commonality in that language. But I've thought about that for them, how hard it is on the ears to hear a language that's not your own, that maybe at times you struggle with, with just making sense of it. Some of them, um, we were talking to, to some of the um, people from down in Guadalajara, and they were, they were speaking to us, and we, we lived in Arizona, so we've picked up a little bit of Spanish, but just enough to be dangerous, you know, just enough to know, like, uh-oh, this is what they're talking about, but I don't really get it all. 
right? And, it, and after a while, you're straining, you're, you're, you're listening, and you know they're speaking English to me, but it's with an accent, and I, I'm trying to hear that, right? So God actually, when he confounded their language, not only did he give new languages to them, but, but he somehow erased or, or, or messed up that language so that they didn't have this commonality. That's a miracle, just so you know that, right? That's a miracle, and he said, not only did he do that, he changed those languages. And so that as, as we fellowship together, we meet people. I so many times have said, oh, I wish I knew how to speak Spanish. I listen to them talking and I think, oh, if I could just step forward and go and just start speaking in, in Spanish to them. There would be a knitting together. We, we, there's something about that, right? Oh, you speak my language. Oh, that is so cool. Well, let's talk in that, right? There, there's something that bonds us together. God did a really good job. Of course, he always does, doesn't he? But the other part of this is notice that it says that he scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. What he said to do, they didn't do, and he did it. And I'm here to tell you as a missionary that he did a really good job. Because the church, for how many thousand years now, several thousand years, have been seeking to go after people who've been scattered and we're having a hard time at that, just so you know. There are still language groups that are out there that still have never heard the gospel. They don't know the true gospel. They don't know anything about the gospel. I mentioned last night, we've put people on the moon, and yet there's still people who don't even know about that. And there's people that we don't even know where they exist in some of these valleys, scattered. He did an excellent job at that too, right? So, so God's plan, part of his plan is now fulfilled. He's accomplished it. He's asked us to be a part of it. He's blessed us with that opportunity. But when we don't obey him, finally he says, look, this is going to happen. He makes it happen. All right? Now, Paul tells us that <clears throat> all of this was done, and there was what the Bible calls a mystery. This was the, what we've just described as our plan here, God's plan, really, has been a mystery throughout time. He actually says, uh, let me get the verse here for you. Uh, we'll get it real quick here. Here we are. Um, in, in Ephesians, yeah, there we are, Ephesians chapter 3. Now, there's probably, I have in my notes half a dozen different verses for this too, but we'll just pick on this one to see. This is what Paul says in regards to this. He says in chapter 3, verse 3, starting there, he says, he says, you guys know how that by revelation he made known to me, Paul's talking there, how he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, like earlier on in, a, in the book of Ephesians, he, he mentions this. He says, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. But what we've just talked about, this plan, wasn't necessarily made known. It was prophesied, but it wasn't fully understood, Okay. And so he says, that, so it's not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, and Paul being one of them. Now's the time. Now's the moment. That's what he's saying. Here it is. This has been now portrayed, and I've got the privilege, one of the individuals, to have the privilege of expressing this. <clears throat> Verse, can we move on? There we go. He says, and he talks about this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. When I look out amongst you, I see mostly Gentiles. I don't even know. Maybe there's some Jews here too. I don't know. But most of us, I would bet, are Gentiles. 
We're non-Jews, in other words. This is good news for us, isn't it? You ever think about that? Here's God raising up a nation of Israel to be a light to the nations, is what they were told, but they didn't do that either. Isn't that interesting? Every time people are told something by God, we don't do what he wants us to do, right? We, we drag our feet on this. We kind of lollygag through that, or we are just totally disobedient to it. The nation of Israel, same way. Here God says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. That was the mystery, bringing them together, Gentiles and Jews together into one body called the church to be a light to the world. And so he says, and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Next verse, please. To me, whom less than the least of the saints, this grace was given. Do you see a sense when Paul says that, that he's recognizing that blessing that he's talking about is mine? Like he caught this somehow. He's saying here, look, do you understand? I'm less than the least of all the saints. This wasn't just hyperbole. This just wasn't Paul just going, oh, I'll say this and they'll think I'm so humble. No, that's not what he's trying to do. He actually believes this. He actually thinks this. He knows where he's come from as far as a persecutor of the church. He knows that he's actually killed people because of their um, belief in Christ, right? And so he sees himself as the least of all the saints, but he says this grace was given. What grace is he talking about? This opportunity to be an ambassador to the Gentiles and express to them this mystery, this plan that God had from the beginning. I want to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You and I hopefully are understanding that more and more. Every day that goes by, we're, we're learning more and more about the unsearchable riches, what we have in Christ, what he says is true about it. We call it our identity in Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. There it is. He's telling us, hey, you know what? There was a mystery. So, so Paul has laid all of that out. That brings us then back to Acts chapter 17, back to that context that we started. And here's Paul describing that and, and following after what he has actually said. Now, Acts chapter 13, is it? Uh, let me just make sure I got it here. Acts 15, sorry. In Acts chapter 15, it's recorded for us the first outreach to the Gentiles. And just let me set up the context for you. Peter, Simon Peter is his name, right? He's a Jew, and he's been raised as a Jew, and he has all the thinking of a Jew, which included, uh, we don't hang out with those Gentiles, right? They're different than us. We don't hang out with them. He's in a house of another Simon, and God has been speaking to a Gentile called Cornelius. And he says, hey, you send a couple of your guys to this house of Simon. There's a guy there. His name is Simon Peter. Get him to come and talk to you. And while that's all transpiring, Peter is up on the roof, and he falls asleep in a trance, it says, and a, and a sheet comes down with all kinds of food that for the Jew was like, no, you don't eat that food, right? And he hears this voice saying, hey, here's this food, eat it. And he goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't do that kind of stuff. And God says, wait, wait, here's this food, eat it three times. No, 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 won't do that. What I say is clean, don't you say is clean. What I say is holy, don't you say is unholy. And then the knock on the door, and here they are, 
and he realizes, oh, God is preparing my heart to be accepting of the fact I need to go with him. He goes to Cornelius' house and witnesses to him and his family, and they get saved. And so when we come to Acts 15, it says Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. When he says at the first, that's what he's referring to. That first time there, Cornelius' house, Peter had the privilege of doing that. But he says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, so now he's quoting from the prophets. In other words, they foretold this, but they didn't understand it all. He says, after this, after this reaching out to the Gentiles, right, after this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, which is in present condition right now, just so you know, right? And I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. That's still to come. We, we fit into this. We know that we're in this process right now. This is all part of God's plan. And so he's going he's gonna to return, he says. He's coming again, right? We know that. The Scripture teaches us that. So here's this plan that God has laid out for us. And, and can I use the same terms that God has blessed us with? He's blessed us with an opportunity in expressing his plan and helping us to gain a perspective of that plan He's blessed us with an opportunity to be involved, to partner together with him. I love how Mark used the term, our global partners, or our ministry partners, he used up here just a couple minutes ago. Why? Because we're partnering together. We're part of the same. All of us joining together to accomplish, to be the hands and the feet, as it were, of what God is doing in his great plan. And he will get it done. Just as he made sure that everyone was scattered, he will make sure that everyone will be reached. Now, will they all agree? Will they all believe? No. You see that all the time. Every time you witness, you find people who do this, right? They don't, they don't want to hear that. In fact, you would even say the majority of them don't want to do that. But God has placed them all in different places, some of them right here in Winchester, some in Kenya, right? some down in South America, all over this world, God has placed them for a purpose so that they might grope after him and find him because he's not far from them. That's what the scripture tells us. In perspective, I have a little saying, perception is reality. And what I mean by that is if I perceive something to be so, whether or not it is so, sometimes is immaterial because I will behave as if it's reality, right? That's what, that, that's what that phrase is referring to. It's speaking about perspective. How do I look at this plan? What's the angle? What's the perspective that I should have in regards to what God's doing? Well, he has laid it out for me. I think one of the things that we should be seeing is that it's a blessing to be a part of it. I'll just tell you there's been times I haven't looked at it that way, Right? I've looked at that as a yes, sir kind of thing. Like as if God is commanding us to be involved in something and we have to be. Are you familiar? Can I see hands here? Are you familiar with Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission? Are you familiar with this? Can you throw your hands up there? Okay, okay. So, yeah, thank you. The vast majority of you, at least, are familiar with that, right? You, you, you go to a missions conference, and that's the verse that comes out, right? And what does that verse say? It says, I have all authority, 
It says, go into and, and, and make disciples, right? Oh, we got it up there. Thank you. Where do we want to hear it? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. <laughs> the very ones that he scattered, he's saying, now, here's a command, go. Well, the perspective can be, yes, sir, right? Have you ever been walking the streets of Winchester or whatever, you know what I mean by that context, and realized you just missed an opportunity? <laughs> oh, Lord, I could have talked to them about you, but I blew it. Oh, and you want to, and you want to reverse that, right? Like, that's what that was, right? I'm reversing, and do it again. Take two. You know, here we go, right? And you don't get that opportunity, do you? See, sometimes I see that too, and I realize, you know what, God, sometimes I'm looking at it like this, like as if I have to. And a lot of times, you know how people are, I was going to say Americans, but it's really true about everybody. Like, we don't like to be told what to do, do we? Oh, yeah? <laughs> Just like those people in the Tower of Babel rebelled and said, no, we're not going to do that. We do the same thing. I do that. I tell God, no. Oh, I'm not always in like this, right? But sometimes I just drag my heels. Sometimes I just slow dance that one. And sometimes I just let it go. And it just doesn't appear to be rebellion, but it is. I'm just not going to do what God wants me to do, right? Like, that's just the way that that is sometimes. My perspective has to change if I'm ever going to see and understand what Paul, I think, caught when he says, I've been given this grace. And that is that I have a privilege, you have a privilege to partner together with God. That's a world of difference. Now instead of I have to, that becomes I get to. And when I get to, and if it's really, it's not just I say those words, but when I really actually believe, you know what, I get to be involved in what God's doing. You know what, it becomes like this. Oh, you get me? Guess what? I get to be a part of this. Now, I don't know what that is necessarily for you or for me. I'm not in the business of God saying, hey, this is how you're supposed to be involved. That's his call. You're his child, and he's the one who's the author. He's the one who's the owner. He's the one who gets to say that, right? So it's his business to tell us. I'll tell you what, guys, you have a tremendous, tremendous opportunity here of in unity together as a fellowship, being led by a, 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 a team saying here, this is what we believe God has laid on our hearts, and we're going to partner together with some, with some ministry partners in reaching a world that's been scattered. What an opportunity! What does that mean for you? For some, hey, some of the ladies were upstairs, and they caught me getting cookies out from under the table, you know, because we kind of ran out, and I like cookies, so somebody told me there are cookies there. And, but you know what? They were serving you might not even, I don't even know their names. I don't, I, if I saw them, I, oh, oh, may, oh, yeah, that's right. You were one of those ladies, right? Like, so in other words, the, sometimes God asks us to be kind of in the background. Sometimes he, he gets our little bald head up in front of the lights and we, we glisten, right, while we teach. Kind of, oh, I could never do that. Really? Well, maybe I could never serve too. We never think about that, do we? But God places us into all these. And you know what? He might have something for you too in that. What a privilege that it is, I get to. And you think about this, I'll leave you with this. God Almighty, who doesn't need us, has graciously 
communicated to us his plan. This is what I'm doing, kids. This is what I'm about. Would you like to be a part of it? I'm going to let you. I don't need you. I can accomplish this, right? He's powerful. He can do it. But he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity. So what I'd like to do here is just to tell you that with the intention of nudging, a bump, a little, can we move a little bit more in that direction? Where in our hearts we're seeing, you know what, God, thank you for the privilege that you've given to me. Teach me, direct me, guide me as to how you want me to be involved in all of that. I'll tell you what, he says, after this I'll return. The day's coming when we're going to hear that trumpet sound, right? The day's coming when we're going to go to be with him. And in those moments, I believe that uh, the way I said it uh, last night was like, I want to be found, you know, like sometimes Sue will call me for supper and I have to drop my tools and clean off my hands and go in and wash up and have supper together. That's how I want to be found. I want to be found having the tools in my hand, as it were, so that when he says, hey, son, it's time to come home, I got to drop them. I don't, I don't want them to be sitting there with dust all over them, right? I'm not just talking about the Word of God. I'm just using that as the, as the illustration or example of like, like being involved in what God is doing. We, we get the privilege then to hear his voice and drop our tools. How cool is that, right? So maybe, maybe that just will be a, a little word of encouragement, just a little nudge of, yeah, God, thanks for reminding me that's what we want to be, right? So let me pray and ask him for that for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. There's so much in your word that impacts our lives, and we are so grateful for that. But we recognize uh, what we've been talking about today as far as you've also told us in your word what you're doing. Thank you for telling us that, Lord. I wish that just having the knowledge of that would cause us to be a part. But knowledge in and of itself doesn't do that. But, it, but it's good to know, Lord. It stimulates us. And, and then your spirit, we know, is at work in our hearts. And, and he's, he's wanting to partner together with us, too. And, and encourage us to be willing to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we ask that for ourselves. We're asking you to keep doing a work in our own hearts that would stimulate and encourage us to be involved in what you're doing. We, we're asking that you will help uh, our, our fellow family members to remind us of this, and you'll help us to remind our family members what you're doing, that we won't get caught up, and when we do get caught up, we'll come back to uh, what that plan is and delight in what you're doing and delight in how gracious you are to give us an opportunity to be involved in that. Thank you for this church, this assembly of people who have been called out from a world that is lost to a world that is lost and to describe to them all who you are and to exalt you because ultimately, Lord, that's what it's about. It's about you. We've been scattered around so that we might find you, and in finding you, we realize, recognize all that you've done for us, 
and we worship you. We praise you. Lord, help us to see that today, not just when we get to be with you. So I pray to that end, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.